This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. Catholic Review Radio is a weekly radio program and podcast hosted by Catholic Review Media, the news operation of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. We are grateful to our Catholic partners for the opportunity to bring quality Catholic programming to our listeners each week. This is Chris Gunty, and welcome to Catholic Review Radio. This week we have two special guests who will be talking about the history and the 200th anniversary of the Baltimore Basilica. In our first segment, we'll chat with Bishop Robert Barron of Los Angeles, and in our second segment, we'll talk with Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York. Bishop Barron is Auxiliary Bishop of Los Angeles and founder of Word on Fire Catholic Ministries. He's also the host of Catholicism, a groundbreaking documentary about the Catholic faith that aired on PBS, and you might have seen it on video at your parish. A lot of parishes do that. And in the interest of full disclosure, Bishop Barron and I were college seminary classmates way back in the day. Welcome to the show, Bishop Barron. Hey, Chris. Always good to see you. You were in town to preach the homily for the patronal feast of the Assumption of the Baltimore Basilica. It's known more formally as the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary and you were here for its 200th anniversary. Mm -hmm. Why is the Baltimore Basilica such an important church in U.S. Catholic history? Well, it's the mother church of American Catholicism. It's the first cathedral. It's the cathedral of of the first bishop of the United States. Uh, So just all the symbolic resonances and overtones of that. Secondly, it's in my humble judgment, the most beautiful church in America. So I can't think of any place that is more architecturally stunning and somehow, what, satisfying to be in. Every time I walk into that basilica, it just gives me such a sense of, of peace and order and harmony. Its architect, of course, is the architect of the U.S. Capitol, uh, Latrobe, friend of Thomas Jefferson, someone who had drunk deeply from the wells of, of the Enlightenment and, and the, the classicism that sort of gave rise to the American experiment. So for all those reasons, it's unparalleled. There's no church like it in America. And then more to it, as you move into the 19th century, the great councils that were held in that very place that gave rise to the Baltimore Catechism, that shaped the way we educate our children, that gave rise to religious orders, etc. So I always feel this simply as an American Catholic, it's a privilege to be in that place. It's so filled with light. Yeah. One of your early books, was heaven in stone and glass. You talked about the stories that famous churches can tell through the architecture and the beauty, which I think Mm -hmm. is is really unique. How does the Baltimore Basilica tell its story? Gosh, in so many ways, but I think you're you're dead right in putting your finger on light. I mentioned the enlightenment. Light was a great motif of that period to illumine the darkness. It's very interesting that they originally presented a a Gothic plan to uh, John Carroll, and he said, no, no, you know, look, I love the Gothic churches, as you just uh, referenced. And, and I think he loved the Gothic churches too, but he said, no, it's a new moment. It's a new moment, a new country. And America was based very much on uh, Enlightenment values, which were grounded further in the classical Roman and Greek world. So he wanted the church to represent that sort of American option. And I think light, so Enlightenment, yes, but look for Christians. Light from light, true God from true God. 
The light shines in the darkness. The darkness does not overcome it. God said, let there be light, and there was light. So light is a marvelous biblical and especially Christian motif. Also the harmonies of that place, Chris, I think that's what we all sense when we go in there. That's what produces peace, the way harmonious music does. We listen to, to Mozart, you know, you listen to Brahms. It's the, it's the harmony of the music that gives you peace. That place, it's harmony illuminated. It's harmony with light all over it. The Gothic churches are full of harmonies too, but often you gotta look for them because it's shrouded in, in shadow. That place though, the Baltimore Basilica, it's, it's illuminated harmony. And there's the incarnation if you want. There's light from light, true God from true God. Jesus comes among us and reestablishes the lost harmony between divinity and humanity. That's what the incarnation really amounts to. So I think in all those ways, it, it speaks the American thing, yes, but it speaks very deeply the biblical and the Catholic thing too. Mm -hmm. Cardinal William Keeler of Baltimore uh, really did a, a great job in leading the renovation of the Basilica that was completed in 2006, 15 years mm -hmm. ago at this point. And he really brought back the light to the place. I think mm -hmm. he brought back that original vision that Bishop Carroll had and, and that was followed through with Archbishop Marischal. What was it like? I'm curious. What was it like before? Because I've only seen it after the renovation. You know, I was there a few times. I, I didn't come to Baltimore until 2009. So okay. I was here for the for the yeah. rededication in 2006 yeah. when the Baltimore bishops met here. But I had been here for, for other meetings and things like that. And yeah. it was a cold, gray place. It yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Opening it up really made a huge difference, I think, for the way that people could perceive the space. Yeah, that's good. It, it just really is amazing when that, when that happened. Mm -hmm. Bishop Byrne, when you preached at the Assumption, you, you talked about Mary as a warrior queen. Yeah. How does that symbol become important for a building such as this? Well, yeah, what I found first really interesting is, is the feast day I was given to preach on, the Assumption which of course is the, that's the patronal feast of that place. And you look at the readings, the readings are just so clear, the way they associate Mary with the Ark of the Covenant. That's both in the Old Testament and in the um, uh, reading from Revelation. And that just so struck me because in the Old Testament, Israel often brought the Ark into battle. It was a sign of God's uh, presence and power. Well, Mary is the Ark of the Covenant par excellence, because in her very womb is carried the, the Word of God. In the book of Revelation, it's associated with the great war in heaven between uh, the devil and his angels and Michael and his angels. So I, what I was seeing there was the fight that we do indeed have in our culture. And this has been true up and down the ages, but the, the fight between light and darkness, if you want, between, in John Paul II's language, the culture of life and the culture of death. Mary assumed into heaven has not gone away. Rather, we'd say almost like a military commander going to a higher point of vantage to see the whole field. So the ascended Christ, the assumed Mary, haven't gone away from us. They've come to a place now to guide and direct the great struggle. As I said, I think in, in the homily that day is, is whenever you use these military metaphors, you, know, you gotta be careful because we're not talking about warfare in the worldly sense. Kingdom of God's a whole lot different than than the kingdom on earth. That's right. And and the look, the 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 prince of peace, the one who was crowned with thorns, that's the king that we're looking to. 
Mary is the commander of this army, but an army that engages in nonviolence, in love and forgiveness and compassion. And that's how we fight. I made the reference, Chris, to uh, in the book of Revelation that the the dragon who's threatening Mary and the child vomits out water. Well, water in the Bible, that's the Red Sea. That's the watery chaos at the beginning. That's the water that Jesus walks on. So water there symbolizes the powers of, of chaos. But it's swallowed up by the dry land, it says. And, and that's the biblical idea, that, that evil is battled not on its own terms, but by its opposite. And so it's by love that we conquer hatred. It's by forgiveness that we conquer vendetta. It's by compassion we conquer hatred and so on. So that's the battle that we're being led into by Jesus and his mother. So that was the motif that I was, I was pursuing there. And how wonderful to speak about that in the mother church of American Catholicism. So we've got a fight on our hands as, as the church always does, but we're under good um, direction. <laughs> that was mm-hmm. kind of my point in that sermon. Yeah, you know, we're we're t- facing some tough things in a lot of our cities, certainly in Baltimore. We have yeah. violence, we have homelessness, we have poverty, all of those things. And the church is really one of the, the things that is fighting against that, is, is kind of trying to be the bulwark. Father James Borick, who is the, the rector of the Basilica, he has really started some new ministries. One is an urban ministry, street ministry, of people going out and spending time with people experiencing mm-hmm. homelessness. But another one is bringing back perpetual adoration to the undercroft of the Basilica. Yeah. How do those two things tie together? We're ministry to people hurting and ministry before the Blessed Sacrament. How do they connect to each other? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I love the fact that all those ministries exist there. And, and that night, after Cardinal Dolan's talk, I went back to the residence of the Archbishop and we had dinner. And uh, and Monsignor was kind of introduced to us and and he laid out some of these ministries. I thought it was it was marvelous, especially the folks going out like literally to meet people on the street to def- to befriend them, et cetera. Um, but I think you're absolutely right. Go right back to now our source in Chicago. Go back to people like Reynold Hillenbrand, the liturgical movement. What did they say? This is back in the 1940s. That what happens at the altar is meant to resonate out into the world. They aren't separate realms. There's not a sharp divide between like nature and supernature, but rather what happens at the liturgy, which is is the cross and the resurrection, the salvation of the world, is now meant to be carried out for the transformation of the world. Now, these are the people who anticipated Vatican II in many ways. You know, the most sacred words of the Mass, Delubach said this, after the words of consecration are, go, the Mass has ended, go. Now go out and, and you make the world into a place that's more like the kingdom of God. And so that's the link between the Eucharist and caring for people who are maybe sick and lonely on the streets of Baltimore. It's the more I adore the Eucharistic Christ, the more I'm committed to helping the poor. Another hero of mine, whom I cited, I think in the sermon, is Dorothy Day. Nobody was more committed to the works of social justice in the 20th century than Dorothy Day. And I would say, nobody was more committed to Eucharistic adoration than Dorothy Day. No one is more committed to the mass, to benediction, to retreats, to to the the supernatural life. So she she saw them as together. I gave a talk on this some years ago, but I think, Chris, one one of the negative effects, not because of the council at all, but after the council, we tended to split those two things. And so conservatives are seen as, you know, they're fussing around with the, in the sanctuary and Eucharistic adoration. Liberals are out on the street. And then each side sort of parodies the other 
it's stupid. That whole thing is stupid. They, they belong together. It's one because of the other. The care for the poor leads you back to the Eucharistic Christ because they're the members of his body. The adoration of Christ leads you out to take care of his, of, of his brothers and sisters. So the, the divide between those two things has been really problematic in the church, and we need to bring it back together. Yeah, when Father James was first starting the, the Source of Our Hope ministry, and I said, you know, what do you say to people who say, look, I'm just hungry. I need a sandwich. He says, yeah, you need a sandwich and we'll give you that. But you need Jesus, too. Yeah, and I can, right. we can help we can help you yeah. find that, too. So it's, it's really a matter of bringing this all together. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much. We've been talking about the Baltimore Basilica with Bishop Robert Barron of Los Angeles. After the break, we'll talk with Cardinal Timothy Dolan of New York about the history of the Baltimore Basilica. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you're listening to Catholic Review Radio. Archdiocese of Baltimore makes the protection of children a leading priority in its parishes, schools, and other ministries. The Archdiocese seeks to keep kids safe through training and background checks and by implementing a zero-tolerance policy for anyone credibly accused of abusing a child. For more information about the Archdiocese's efforts to keep our children safe, please visit www.archbalt.org accountability. Catholic news from the Archdiocese of Baltimore and around the world with the Catholic Review. Auxiliary Bishop Emeritus Dennis J. Madden will step down from his role as urban vicar for the Archdiocese of Baltimore, effective October 1st. Auxiliary Bishop Bruce Lewandowski will become the new urban vicar while continuing his work as Episcopal vicar for Hispanic Catholics. Redemptorist Father Aiko Walker, a native of Trinidad who was ordained a priest in 2019, succeeded Bishop Lewandowski as pastor of Sacred Heart of Jesus, Sagrado Corazon de Jesus Parish in Highland Town, effective September 1st. Bishop Lewandowski had remained pastor at the predominantly Spanish-speaking faith community following his ordination as a bishop last year. Bishop Madden retired five years ago but continued ministry as urban vicar. After leaving the Urban Vicar's post October 1st, he will remain active by overseeing ecumenical and interfaith work in the Archdiocese, as well as continuing to serve as a liaison between the Archdiocese and the university communities in the area. For more on this story, visit catholicreview.org. From the newsroom of the Catholic Review, I'm George Matisek. This is Archbishop William Laurie of Baltimore, and you are listening to Catholic Review Radio. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review. With us today on Catholic Review Radio is Cardinal Timothy Dolan, who visited Baltimore to speak at the Vespers service for the 200th anniversary of the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Cardinal Timothy Dolan is the 10th Archbishop of New York. He has also served as Archbishop of Milwaukee and Auxiliary Bishop of St. Louis, his home archdiocese. He was named a Cardinal in 2012 in the same consistory with our own Cardinal Edwin O'Brien, which I had the privilege to attend. And he participated in the conclave that elected Pope Francis in 2013. Welcome to the show, Your Eminence. Way to go, Chris. Thanks for not giving my weight. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's talk about the Basilica. Your doctoral studies at the Catholic University of America focused on the history of the American church. Right. Uh, so the 200th anniversary of America's first cathedral must be considered a significant occasion. Why is this Baltimore Basilica so important in U.S. Catholic history? Well, thanks for asking and thanks for your interest. You know, as you mentioned, Chris, I grew up in St. Louis, which is a very important uh, archdiocese west mm -hmm. of the Mississippi. And I always felt we in St. Louis never appreciated how important St. Louis was. And I wonder if that's true here in Baltimore. I think it you, is. you don't know the gem. Uh, you don't know the light to the world that this archdiocese has been uh, to the nation and to the world. And darn it, I use that word light to the world purposely because that's precisely what John Carroll wanted the Basilica to be. He said, uh, I, I want the Basilica well, he didn't, it wasn't a basilica in his day. He said, I want this cathedral to be first class. I want it literally to be up high. I want it not some uh, nondescript little uh, church uh, that's dwarfed by the nearby Protestant uh, churches. I want it the best, and I want it done by the best architect in the world. And his purpose was not any type of self-grandeur. John Carroll was a humble man. No, but he said, I want to show this nation that the church is here to stay and that we are confident Americans, we are fervent Catholics, and we want to be your allies and neighbors in what we think are the most noble aspirations of the human person that have been enshrined in the foundational documents of this great republic. And so that gave rise to his, the genius, his dream of, of the Cathedral of the Assumption. Keep in mind, Chris, to understand that better, we'd have to appreciate the brand, the style of Catholicism in which John Carroll grew up, because that style of Catholicism would have been the opposite. Quiet, reserved, stick to yourself, religion, uh, don't talk about religion in public. We gotta behave here in this republic, which wasn't a republic yet, we gotta behave here in this colony because they don't like us. So uh, don't, don't, uh, don't show off, don't be a light to the world. That was the tenor of the Catholics, brave Catholics they were, and God bless them, who arrived on the Ark and the Dove in 1634. They had come from an England, remember, where they had to do that. Okay. They, they, those Catholics refused to their credit to take the oath of allegiance to the crown, but because of that they said, Your Majesty, you have nothing to fear, fear from us. We, we will be loyal, impeccable servants, and our religion is purely private, and you don't have to worry about it. There's no division uh, in our minds between impeccable citizenship in England and also being loyal Catholics. That kind of more private style is what he grew up in. And he, he acknowledged that was necessary at the time and sure had high regard for his ancestors. But he said, uh-uh, not now. And he began, even though it's a long time in coming and even though it's still with us, he began to sense that there might be an opening of an American appreciation for the church. Now, it took a long time in coming, and we still have, unfortunately, a venomous type of anti-Catholicism that seems to be in America's DNA. But in general, he said, no, we can really become a light to the world. We can really become uh, cherished partners in this dream that we call the United States of America. And he wanted that cathedral to show that. Sure, and the cathedral got started in 1806, really wasn't dedicated until 15 years later in 1821. Yeah. At the time, the country was very young. What role did religious liberty play 
in the construction and design of this. Well, cathedral. you will remember, of course, that when the Ark of the Dove arrived, uh, Maryland had religious uh, freedom. They called it toleration at the time. I mm -hmm. hope it's a lot more than tolerating one another, which, of course, was later revoked, the Declaration of Religious Freedom. But Carroll saw in the First Amendment and in the welcoming uh, to America, and especially in the patriotic role that, that uh, Catholics in the United States, tiny number though they were, played in the Revolution, he saw this is an opening to make religious freedom work, and uh, we want to be part of this. And he saw that. He, he saw that. He would write in the 1880s, Chris, he wasn't a bishop, as you know, until the diocese was in farm until 1789. He wasn't ordained until a year later as a bishop. But even in, in the 80s, when he was recognized as the leader in the two dozen Jesuits who were here, he wrote to Rome to say, I need to let you know that the, the religious revolution going on in the United States is as promising as the political one. And there is a new openness to religious freedom here. And we don't want to let that pass. And we want to take our role here. So early on, he knew that there was, boy, there was, a, the United States of America could, could make a contribution to the church universal in its trumpeting of religious liberty. And uh, in showing that the church could not only survive, but thrive in a country that did not have an established church, which was, kind of strange for Europe to hear at the time. And we, of course, the John Carroll dream became true at the Second Vatican Council, at the, at the Declaration of Religious Freedom, so. Takes a long time. Yeah, does it, yeah. yeah. How do churches like the Basilica, uh, which we're, right, we're talking right next door, we're in the residence of the Basilica, uh, how do churches like that, churches like your own St. Patrick's Cathedral, how do those bring people closer to God? This is interesting because uh, tonight I'm going to spend a lot of time on the architecture and Latrobe and all. The architecture itself can. It can be, and, and I have so many people in New York that say, just walking by St. Patrick's Cathedral is a daily prayer. As they're literally lifted up. When uh, Pope Francis visited New York uh, in uh, 2015, as I was with him riding down Fifth Avenue in the Pope Mobile to the ecstatic crowd, and we stopped in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral because we were going in, but he was looking the other way to, to greet the people, and he turned to me and said, why are we stopping? I said, because Holy Father, here's the cathedral. And he, he, uh, he turned to me and he said, but it's right in the middle of everything. Like he was surprised. I, I thought, why would he say that? Well, you know, in Europe, Latin America, it's usually a plaza Absolutely. or surrounded by grounds. And he smiled and said, and that's where it should be. So this is, our, our cathedrals can become Emmanuel. God is with us. Our churches can become Emmanuel. Now that, Chris, is just the outside. That's the art. That's the, that's the brick and mortar that lifts us up to God. What goes on in the inside, I'm always fascinated, and I'm sure it's true here, because we get tons of visitors on St. Patrick's Cathedral. There's uh, between uh, Thanksgiving and Epiphany, we have over two million people that will walk through St. Patrick's. And when you walk into St. Patrick's, there's an, uh, an automatic sense of awe and reverence. So the people will come in a tourist, but the minute they look around, they kind of shut up. And they begin to kind of walk around, and you'll see many of them just stop to pray. That's what a cathedral does. It really is an audiovisual aid. It's a teaching aid to God's presence with us. God coming to us and him bringing us back to him. That's what occurs in all of our sacred spaces, our churches. 
That's what John Carroll wanted here, not only inside, but he wanted the outside to say that to see that too. So as you would know from the from the early maps, when a ship would arrive in the harbor, the cathedral here would stand out. They could look up and see that, and he wanted that purposefully. And then, of course, once you get inside, there's the Blessed Sacrament. Sure, you <laughs> in got the, the Blessed Sacrament. You got, you got confessions going on. You got prayer. You've got mass. For a Catholic, literally God is with us through the real presence of our Lord and the Holy Eucharist. But for anybody, you're thinking, ah, this is where God dwells. So, When you think about this church as kind of the mother church for the whole U.S., does it still have an impact on the rest of the country? Yeah, it, oh, it would for sure. Now, of course, because this cathedral now, compared to the ones that were built later, as all of them were, would, would seem rather small, yes. okay, and would not be, I mean, even, uh, I mean, we could probably fit six of them in St. Patrick's Cathedral, but this one is venerable because of its history. So when you know what happened here, I mean, I'm going to trace some of that, the, the provincial and plenary councils of Baltimore, when, you, when, when you, you know what happened in those decrees, when you look at the diocese that were formed from that building, when you look at the towering Mount Rushmore type figures that are buried there from John Carroll through James Gibbons. And you see the impact that they had. This indeed has gone out to all the world. And that's what, again, what Carroll wanted. At his time, of course, he was saying, hey, I go all the way to the Mississippi. Right. We better be something that people can look up to. And sooner or later, copy. And many of them did. And the number of bishops who would have been ordained Oh, my here. Lord, sure, sure. The number of dioceses that were formally nominated to Rome and, and suggested to Rome at the consuls and all. Wow, including New York. Well, that wouldn't have been here then, because we were established in 1808. So the cathedral wasn't here until 1821. Right. Well, we appreciate that. We're looking forward to I your I appreciate talk it, Chris. Okay. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Cardinal Timothy Dolan, Archbishop of New York, about the 200th anniversary of the Baltimore Basilica, America's first cathedral. Thanks so much for being with us. My honor, Ryan. Chris. Thanks for asking. Thank you. This is Chris Gunty of the Catholic Review, and you've been listening to Catholic Review Radio. The Catholic Review is the only publication in the Archdiocese of Baltimore that covers the Catholic Church full-time. Pick up the monthly magazine at your parish or have it delivered to your home. Subscribe to our e-newsletter for twice-weekly updates. Just text CR Media to 84576. Follow the Catholic Review on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Read it today in print or online at catholicreview.org. That's catholicreview.org. Tune in to Catholic Review Radio next week. Available on WMET 1160 AM and 103.1 FM. Also, WSJF 92.7 FM in the Sykesville area and WVTO 92.7 FM in Baltimore City. Check us out on SoundCloud or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Catholic Review Radio. As we prepare for the week ahead, let us do so in prayer together as one community of faith. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let us also ask the blessing and intercession of our Blessed Mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. 
Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless us and keep us always in his love.